Welcome to Romance Your Tribe Radio with me, Janet Beckers, where every episode focuses on simple action steps you can do this week to grow your business online and bring joy to the work you do. Hello and welcome everybody. Janet Beckers here with Romance Your Tribe Radio and I'm really excited today because I'm interviewing um, one of my mentors, somebody who I've admired for years and who has helped me a lot in business. So James Schramko, hello. Hello Janet, how are you? Hi, good, good. Now James, you've, well James is from Superfast Business and it was only a couple of weeks ago that you had your conference that I went down to in Sydney so that you've done that about every year or every two years, haven't you? Um, sometimes twice a year, sometimes I skip a year, but about 10, actually 10 years to the day. We yeah, did, uh, yeah. Quite a few. I think we've done 14 or 15. That's, I mean, so the, the thing that I really liked about when I was at this event that you were running um, just a few weeks ago, there were two things to it really. One was, and they just sum you up, one was the calibre of the people in the room were people who were doing stuff. Like, so they were people who've been doing marketing, have been building business. So for me, that was fantastic. It was like my tribe. Um, but the other thing that I really loved about the event and that is what draws me to you, James, is like this total, it's very an Australian type of approach to business and life, I think, is this kind of like, you know, let's just chill, you know, like it's, we've got nobody here to impress. We're just peers that are doing stuff and let's help each other and you know here's the simple way to do it like there's none of this um I don't know artificial sort of trying to put yourself up on a pedestal and that that separation that a lot of times can come with people with your many years of experience so um so everybody that's listening here you're kind of you'll probably see between James and I this is kind of like you know the way that Australians do business um that's uh yeah i think it's quite unique you kind of you embody that one i think james yeah well, a few things go into that i think i think one is i'm not a perfectionist so i don't spend a lot of energy fussing on uh, bells and whistles and that uh, sort of leads to the other thing is there's absolutely no hype and, uh, and most yeah. people are attracted to my community which is why the people there were great they're not there to be sold and razzled and dazzled and hyped up and whipped into a, a frenzy. They're there because they want to be there. So even some of the things like having a uh, quite plain environment there, like I don't have trade vendor stalls. Um, we're not doing the big outrageous marketing campaigns. It's all very low key. So mm. we've kind of attracted people who just want uh, they just want the raw, direct, unpolished, unhyped version of what there can be out there. I mean, I don't know about you, Janet, but I've been, been to quite a few events where I've seen mm -hmm. people do their car crash story and lots of crocodile tears and, and, and people are, I think they're getting over that. Yeah. And, and I was never into it to start with. So I screen and filter very carefully mm. anything that I'm putting towards my audience who I've worked really hard to build has to be uh, filtered, checked, uh, and uh, I guess I'm curating the best experience I can, even down to surveying my audience quite regularly so I know exactly 
what they need and then I build the best solutions I can for them rather than just guess. Yeah, yeah. That's a great thing. I, I, I know years ago I used to, um, as part of my marketing, I was on that, that speak circuits, you know, with the, um, the multi-speaker marketing. This is quite a few years ago, the multi-speaker. And I sometimes used to go, they always was that sort. I used to live in the ruled up newspaper in the middle of the road and I, my life was tough, you know, that whole stuff. And, and my bullshit meter used to just go off so fierce. And, and I would just get up and say, look, let's just get this stuff done. Like, you know, <laughs> so yeah, it's, um, I, a lot of people can just, yeah, over that. So, um, so that's, that's the thing that I like. So I know today we're just going to get, this is what works, you know? And so one of the reasons, um, why I invited James along everyone was because apart from I love him is, um, your book, your, um, work less, make more. I mean, fair income, that title just sums up your philosophy to business, I think. Yeah, so it even extends beyond business. I think it's more of a lifestyle position now. Mm. Um, I remember when I had a job and I went to see a conference from, uh, at the time, very successful real estate agent in Sydney who'd um, put on an internet marketing conference. This was in the early 90s, so it was pretty new to Australia. And uh, I remember he was talking about doing certain things on certain days of the week and having the, the independence to not be in an office. And I thought, this is really, this is really quite a game changer. This is the first time I became aware of the concept of lifestyle design. I don't think he even used those words, but that you could actually step aside from the whole nine to five Monday to Friday thing that everyone does. You know, I remember polishing my shoes on Sunday night, resenting having to go into work in the morning yeah putting on my crisp white shirt driving into with you know with everyone else at the exact same time driving to work Mm. to an office and i thought this is stupid i don't get it i I, there's got to be another way and that's what's sent me on this journey of the online world and that definitely created a situation where you can create your own rules and that's what I wanted to do in this book was to share a lot of the things that I've learned uh, with my kids. I'm pretty much writing it with my kids as a prime filter. Right. To, you know, so it's not just for online marketers. I went to great pains to um, you know, say out loud any sort of terms that might be industry specific so that a regular person with a, you know, a forklift driver or, or a, um, a tuck shop mum, anyone could read this book and relate to the core concepts. Some of them are so simple that we almost want to try and overcomplicate them. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's, that is a really good point about it, things. Sometimes if things are too simple and honestly, you know, 80, 90% of what's going to get you the results is pretty simple, straightforward stuff that there is such a tendency to want to overcomplicate. And that is, that's been my default for too many years. It's a human condition. <laughs> oh, it is because you can go, oh, I can make that better. I can make that more exciting. I can be creative around that. And it just ends up being, you know, that was just a waste of energy. If I just stuck to what worked, you know, it's almost like an evolution in business. That's been my theme for the last 18 months is, um, you know, addition by subtraction, like how can I simplify everything, um, which is why I really, really resonate with your particular topic. Now, 
What we're going to do is, as you can imagine, there's a lot of topics that we can be covering with James. And But the thing that I really wanted to talk to you, James, and, and that I really want to introduce you all to, who, that, you, that you're listening, is the concept that's really core to what you do, which is the EHR. So we're going to investigate that and really pick your brain, James, about how people can do that. So first of all, what is this EHR? It's just a formula called effective hourly rate. Mm -hmm. And it's a simple way to know how much you're earning per hour. So most people with a job would be able to tell you their hourly wage. You know, if, if you're yeah. working in a, at McDonald's, maybe you earn $16 an hour. That's your hourly wage because you generally don't have costs as an employee. Mm. So whatever you get paid, that's what you earn. As a business owner, I'm willing to bet most business owners couldn't tell you their effective hourly rate. They haven't actually worked out their wage. They might be able to tell you their revenue, uh, but they probably haven't actually sat down and calculated how many hours they work. And they almost certainly won't know uh, which products or services within their business are worth more to them than others. And that's where sort of a, a bit of a clue as to where you might start to find more profit. Because if you were to take your revenue as a business owner, and then you subtract all of your costs and there's usually a lot with a business. It's mm -hmm. often half the revenue or even three quarters of it, depending on your business model. Uh, or if you have a business like yours or mine, it might only be, you know, a quarter or less yeah. if you're really doing it well. Uh, and then you divide that net profit by how many hours you've actually worked to get to that number. That's your effective hourly rate. Yeah. Okay. So that's, so in order to do this, like if people were going to go, right, I'm going to set myself a goal in say the next week. Um, is it mm -hmm. something that you would measure over a week? Could we do, could we do it in a week or a little bit longer? You can measure it right now. It'd take you about five minutes to work. Oh, okay. You could just simply work off last month's revenue. Um, you just think about, or, you know, Depending what time of the tax, if you've just done your tax, you'll know your annuals. So that, that's another yeah. issue altogether. A lot of businesses are flying a little bit blind when it comes to their actual financials. Mm. Uh, but let's assume we have a reasonable grasp of our finances. It, you could take last month's revenue and subtract last month's costs and see what, what number that leaves and then divide yep. by how many hours you worked in the month. And most people could uh, have a, at least a guess. I'm, I'm guessing a lot of people listening to this would actually be working six or seven days a week and they're probably putting in uh, 10 hour days. It, it's not, um, <laughs> you know, it's not unusual for, for entrepreneurs to work a lot harder than when they actually had a job. Yeah. So they might be working, uh, they might be working eight hour days, uh, 20 days a week as an absolute minimum. It could be a hundred and um, 160 hours. Would it be? So, <laughs> so eight hours a day for what? How many days per week? You said twenty days a week. No, twenty days in the month. Sorry. Oh right, sorry. Yeah, yeah, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's good. So if we're looking, so that's one of your first things. If you haven't been really calculating how many hours you're working, do a reality check, okay? And that's also going to be including. 
just checking, you know, a couple of times during the night what's been coming through the email, checking on the social media if it relates to your business. Don't forget that, okay, because... There are tools that, that help that too. You can install a tool on your desktop called Rescue Time and okay. you can install, I mean, most iPhones come standard with uh, an app now. It's called Moments and it gives you insights as to how long you spend on the phone. And I'm going to tell you mm. a frightening one. Most adults are going to be spending uh, five or six hours a day on their phone a day. Oh, is that right? Five or six hours is the average. Well, I feel better now. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be frightening. In yeah. fact, for most people, the easiest way to improve your effective hourly rate is to just stop using Facebook on your phone or stop logging onto Netflix every night because it's just become so convenient to consume that we can fall into an unproductivity habit of just, you know, I'll get to the work later. I'm just going to watch this Game of Thrones or I'm just going to um, check out Facebook. Now, you cannot log on to Facebook and just do one thing anyway. You'll get distracted and sucked into the vortex of social media. Yeah. Um, So those are sort of activities that I would regard as a, a treat. That'd be something good to do once you've earned it with some work. Yeah. Especially towards the end of the day when you don't have as much brain power. Uh, it's good to do the lighter activities and load your front end of your day when you've got the most reserves for the heavy work. Yeah, good point. So if we're looking at, um, because a lot of it does come down to that discipline and being aware of what you're doing, and and that first thing starts with the measuring. So like if you've got, okay, this is my effective hourly rate, now what is it that I'm going to change and then come back and actually measure it? Because if you're going to measure it and then record it to see what's happening, that's where it's like when you're losing weight, you know, <laughs> if you, you know, if you're going to measure, you know, you'll actually have that inspiration to keep on going is the, is the really good thing. Now there was the other thing that you mentioned about was your effective hourly rate for particular products and services that you may be providing and other sorts of activities as well. So what's, what's been your findings with the people who you work with, James, around that, around, you know, what's, what's a pretty common thing for people to find when they do that and then what can they do to make it so it's more effective? Oh, it's really common that people first calculate their effective hourly rate and then they burst into tears. Oh, right. Um, it, it could be like $7 an hour or something. Where they're like, they would literally be better off to go and get a job at McDonald's than to, yeah. to work on this particular product. So some, um, the other thing I've found is that almost always one or two of your products or services will be far more profitable than the other ones. Some of them are barely worth doing. In fact, if you just stop doing those and redirected the same time to the higher profit activities, then you would instantly make more money and work less. So, so it's, it's definitely um, a shortcut to that. I know with my business, I have two primary business um, products and I'm easily able to benchmark them with each other. I can see how long I spend on each one and how much I make with each one and I can constantly use them to compete with each other so that I'm able to, um, I guess it's like owning Coke and Pepsi. Uh, you, can, you can try and uh, you know, have that battle and benchmark off yourself. Yeah, right. Actually, that's, I love, you know, on that point about sometimes just stopping something 
is actually going to make you so much more productive because that happened to me quite a few years ago in Wonderful Web Women. I had a membership that was 47 a month and if people had purchased it, you know, in in different circumstances, they may have got a $37 a month um, offer. And it was the one that was my bench, you know, my, my core one that I started with, but then I started offering higher level programs. And it really became, there was, there was one thing that happened where I thought, you know what, I, I got a new accountant actually, and he started meeting with me and he went, what's the story with this program? Like why you know, as a percentage of your revenue, that one there is, you know, not the biggest one. Why have you still got it? And it was like, well, that's where I started. That was my baby. People want it. Um, so I was over-delivering, severely over-delivering at that level. But the really interesting thing is when I decided to cancel it, and that was because I had somebody externally just asking those questions, a really interesting thing happened which just shows exactly how that revenue from the whole program was replaced in one phone call after I did that because I, um, I took away the pay button on the sales page and removed it from the navigation. But we hadn't actually removed the page. And then I got, as we were doing this, I got an email from somebody saying, oh, you know, I've, I've got the special offer that was in an autoresponder, but I can't find the buy now button. So I emailed them and went, oh, look, you've actually caught us with our pants down. Look, how about I hop on the phone with you and I'll explain what's happening and I'll just find out what help you need. So she wanted to buy a $37 a month program. On that call, um, she bought a $10,000 program. And so she would have been happy with the 37. And so for me, that was like an, a perfect example of what you're saying. If simply by cancelling something that's using up a lot of your time, can even be freeing you up to do the sales calls that allow you to sell into a higher price program that you may not have had the time to do before. So it's literally uh, swapping hours, swapping yeah. a, a low effective hourly rate hour for a high effective. I mean, I used to have a website development business and it didn't represent a big part of my portfolio. It was at low six figures per year revenue and the cost it ran at about a 50% profit margin. So it wasn't, a massive contributor to my income, but it did take a disproportionate amount of my time having to get involved in customer support situations because mm -hmm. website development is one of those things where customers always about a hundred times more obsessed about how their website looks yeah. than anything else, whether it's coded well or works in any browser, that's like all secondary, mm -hmm. uh, whether it ranks well, it all came down to what it looks like. And it's so subjective. And I ended up really disliking this business unit. It was draining my energy for not enough reward. So I sold that business and it was one of the happiest days of my life. Yes. <laughs> to, to sell it. It's like, and I redirected that energy into my higher level program. And uh, it, it just made such a difference. I actually only need one and a half clients in my Silver Circle program to make the same profit that I could make from my website development program. And the time I spend with one and a half clients um, is not as long as, it used, as I used to spend thinking about or being concerned about my website mm. development business. So it's a good trade. Yeah, that's fantastic. So for everybody that's listening, that's, that's my challenge to you is this week, so you've got you looking at how many hours you've been working so that you can then look at your profit, work out your 
you know, eat HR. And then also, you know, making those tough decisions, like, you know, are you holding on to something because it's the way you've always done it or you think that's what people want or other people are doing it? Like, be really honest with yourself and, you know, just say goodbye. It's incredibly, um, you know, it's just liberating to be able to do that. Now, there was one other thing I really wanted to talk to you about, James, that you cover in your book, and that's the concept of the 4% um, when it comes to EHR. So can you just run us through that? So this comes from the Pareto principle, which stems from Wilfredo um, Pareto, who was an economist, and he discovered that most of the wealth was held by a small percentage of the population. So it's also called the 80-20 rule. And when I was reading books from Richard Koch and Perry Marshall, it mentions that that rule is fractal. It's actually a power law. It's a fancy way of saying that you can apply it to itself. So I I 80-20 the 80-20. And what I came up with was the fact that 4% of your inputs uh, are most likely generating 64% of your results. Now, this is a rule of thumb, right? Some people will take me up on this on social media. It's had a great discussion about this in the last few days, actually. Okay. Because they saw that quote and they wanted to argue it. Then I look up Wikipedia, Pareto Principle, and there, sure enough, someone's done the mathematical extraction right through to 64.4 and they found the same thing that, um, it actually applies out to uh, global wealth distribution, global, right. global economics. It actually holds pretty true when you apply it to a real-world environment. So it's not going to work for everything. But um, the main point of this is that not all things are equal. And that's really what we've just been discussing. It is crazy to treat everything as equal. Not all activities are equal. Not all customers are equal. Not all products or services in your business are equal. Uh, I think Lombardi said something along the lines of, there's nothing so unequal as to treat um, unequals as equals. So basically you you have to realise that some things are just far more important. It's kind of like our wardrobe. I bet you wear some T-shirts or some uh, shoes far more than the other ones in the wardrobe. Like occasion, I, I found a suit in my cupboard here that I have not worn for over 10 years. Right. I, I, it's, it's, I had it when I had a job. So if you were to count that in my wardrobe versus a T-shirt, which I, I wear a lot, um, it's more like a 199. Like it's like yeah. I would wear the you know, the T-shirt 99% of the time and then a suit, uh, you know, less than 1% of the time. Mm. Uh, same with, with, you know, it, apl- it just applies across a lot. Even if you have kids, probably you like one of them a little more than the others. I don't nah. know. <laughs> That's uh, what I tell them. <laughs> there'll be, uh, yeah, just don't tell them which one and they'll yeah. you know, keep them guessing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it applies to jewellery and, and all sorts of things. So I think this is a good thing to know because people tend to just sort of average things out and go along and uh, treat things equally. So mm. my real, the, the, the summary of that is we would want to ask ourselves, which one of our products or services is the one I should be spending a lot more time and energy with? Which one of our team members is the real asset that I could uh, leverage my business more. Which segment of my customers are responsible for making most of my my uh, income? Because there mm. will be a subset somewhere there that if you just spend more time on, it will get you a huge reward. In fact, if you just stop doing 
uh, a, a huge chunk of of what you're doing now, like a lot of it, you'll still get almost the same results, which is that's just the mind-blowing thing about it. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that's where it comes down to the skill, doesn't it? There's that one side where it's great to have somebody else like you who, you know, has seen enough of other people's businesses to be able to go, look, I'm pretty sure this is the one that's going to be, you know, that you can pitch this. Um, but also that thing that we, you know, we came back to at the beginning is, you know, unless you actually know, like, where is the revenue coming from? Where is my least amount of in time spent for my, you know, effective value rate? And then even narrowing it down further. Like, you know, I know that, and like you, James, you know, my VIP clients actually take less work than, um, than the people who pay me less money and, so, and give me more joy. <laughs> so that's a real positive, but it's even looking within, say, that revenue stream of, okay, well, of these ones, which are the ones that you know, give you the most joy or because um, I always also like to measure in terms of like, you know, my effective hourly joy, I suppose, um, is, you know, really taking that extra look. And, you know, that's that's actually a really, that's something that I haven't done is, um, is measured that about, you know, is there something that's common to the ones that get the results the fastest? Um, or, you know, that you can get the results with it being so stress-free. So that's, um, that's a challenge for me is, is having a look for that as well. Um, it's, it's something I've definitely done. I did up a grid and I scored all of my highest level customers. Right. And, I, you know, I measured them on how much I enjoy working with them, how much of an impact I can have for their business. Uh, I measure if, if they have an impact on my business. So I have quite a few celebrity people who I coach now and just one referral from them is, you know, it's an unbelievable endorsement when you get yeah, really right. famous people recommending me. I, I, I've had a couple of members. In fact, most people come in at the top end for me, uh, word of mouth referrals. And in some cases, one guy this guy does $8 million a year and he came to me and he said, listen, I've just been to an event. I sat at a table and four of the five people, and he was the fifth, <laughs> were just, they, they all said your name is the guy who can help me the most. So here I am, like what, what's the next step? There was no sales discussion. There was not even a price discussion. He just came to me hot because of my perfect customers who get me more perfect customers. Yeah. So what you do is as soon as you identify a customer that's not within that range, that's not making you excited, that's not getting great results, then you adjust your filters so that you don't get more of those because they're going to chew up more bandwidth uh, and your profitability starts to erode. So it's mm. a very interesting thing. And um, certainly within your products, it's always good to see how can I adjust this effective hourly rate. So I've just had a reconfiguration for one of my other products where I've changed the way that I sell it, uh, in particular the price points and the access levels because I've found I can build a lot more scale with the new way, which mm. will actually increase my effective hourly rate. So I, I still want to spend the same amount of time on this product but I'd like to make more per hour that I do spend on it. 
Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, so and that's the nice thing. It's it's all. It's not as if it's something I've done it once and I've nailed it. So you're just you know, <laughs> demonstrating. Okay, well I can keep on applying this to my own business, which is brilliant. And and the sixty four four, a simple way to think of that is imagine if one of my clients has a great business idea, and they ask um, five people. They might ask their mum. They might ask their friend from school. They might ask someone on the street they've just met. Uh, they might share it with an Uber driver and then they might ask me. Right. So one, you know, one of those people is probably going to have significantly better advice for that person if, it is in, you know, if it's within my range of skill set and my data catchment. Considering I've coached now, well over 2,000 people over the last decade and have generated an enormous amount of success stories. If this person's idea fits within something I've already seen and I know exactly, in fact, I had a great example today. One guy came to me with this amazing opportunity. Uh, he explained it all to me. He told me one of his hesitations and I just said to him, like, can I tell you something in confidence? And he said, yes. I said, this guy has been... Um, He's been arrested for fraud in the past, so I would not take the opportunity. And he said, thank you. So right. you know, that means the, the, the advice uh, is so powerful compared to you know, the average. So you can't just take five people's advice and then average it out. That's what most people tend to do. Yeah. No, look, look for it. If you don't find an unequal distribution, then there's something not quite right. Good point. Good point. Yeah. So if you're going to be taking all that, all that different advice, you, if you're getting the same advice coming from everybody, you either you're asking the wrong people. <laughs> yeah. Like who, who, like the other day I serviced my car and on the way back, uh, the van driver gave me a lift and he was giving, uh, he was saying how he's, he, didn't, he doesn't ever vote. It's not, you know, there's nothing you can do to change the politicians. And he was giving me investment advice. And then I'm thinking to myself, this guy's driving the van from the local service center. Would I take his investment advice over <laughs> my investment um, friend who has a proven track record, who's been doing it his whole life and has generated success stories for all of his peer group? Who am I going to, to you know, where do they position on the scale of how much weight I would put in them? And I can tell you they'd be very different. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that, that, that might sound, okay, well, that's, you know, people can go, oh, yeah, I get that one. That's an obvious one. But look, the question I want people here to ask yourself is you may have sought out um, advice. You may have purchased a program to be able to learn to do something. You may have invested in coaching and mentoring. Are you then taking the advice? Because I see this a lot where people will go, okay, this is what I've got to do. And then they either do looping back to what we said at the beginning where they'll go, well, that's not sexy enough or it's too simple, I'm going to, you know, I can do more exciting than that. And so they'll ignore the advice that works and then go on and make it more complicated than they need to. Or they'll get the thing and they'll be going, right, this is just about right. And they'll not even set everything up. And it's up to that point now of, okay, now I've got to drive the traffic. I've got to sell this baby. And they will then start taking advice from everybody else around them and just leave it. And start something. New. That's it. I've I've had I've had clients ask for advice, and the next day I see them on Facebook asking Facebook, and then I think, well, they they don't understand the um, 
the Pareto principle. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 They, you can't you can't just take that advice and treat it all equally. It would be a mistake. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So I think the the important takeaway from there is if we do a bit of a roundup now. So when it comes to that Pareto principle, it applies to a few things. So it's going to apply to you know, the best customers that you, that you get the best, the best results with the most joy, the most money from within whatever you're offering that has the least amount of work in order for you to get your results. So the best effective hourly rate. So if you're looking at that, then when you're building the business is also carrying that over into where do you get your advice from? So, you know, make sure that you're seeking out, you know, the, the 4% that's going to be able to give you the right advice and then just do it. And then also going back to, you know, you can measure your effective hourly rate now. And that's my challenge to everybody that is listening here is, you know, what I'm watching you. So go now. I want you to work out, you know, what was the difference between your revenue and expenses um, in the last year or the last month, in the last year, I'd say, and then divide it by 12. And then also look really, really honestly at how much time's gone into that. So you, at least you're measuring what your effective hourly rate. And then after you have a big cry, <laughs> um, if you come back to here, if you're watching this on the, you know, if you're here on the blog post, if you're, wherever you're watching this, come in and let us know what it is that you're going to do first to change your effective hourly rate? Are you going to be dropping something? Are you going to be doing as James said and you're going to be starting to remove these apps from your phone so you don't get distracted, use them as a reward? Um, that's what I really want to hear from you because for James and I, that's one of the most rewarding things you can do is the time we've spent today. If you can come, go and find James anyway, you've got to go and find him on superfastbusiness.com. You've got to go and find him on social media and just give him some feedback and come and tell me as well, feedback like what was your aha today and what is it that you are going to do first that's going to increase your effective hourly rate? That would be um, a gift for us because we know that you're going to take action. That's why we're doing this stuff. Um, so any final points, James, for people that's going to help them to, you know, work less and make more? Just see, I had to say that then because, you know. <laughs> it did. That's, uh, <laughs> no, I think, I think you've got it. I think just question everything. I talk about that in Chapter 9, I think. Just question why you're doing the things you're doing and be open-minded to making some adjustments, swapping out some um, bad stuff bring in some good stuff and you'll find that uh, you can really make a huge difference to your earning capacity if you're open-minded to this and and once you get a high effective hourly rate like for example if you're making over a thousand dollars an hour then your work becomes really quite joyful and uh, you don't feel like you have to work all the time because just even doing a few hours a day is enough to have a really decent income yeah, there you go. That's the benchmark, babies. <laughs> that thousand dollars an an hour. So um, thank you so much, James. I really, I just love any kind of wisdom that you um, that you share. And I always feel. Um, I don't, are you guys feeling this too? Just listening or watching this? Like, I always just have this feeling after I've talked to James of. Oh, it's okay. Like this is not too hard. You know, this is all right. I've got this. So I hope you're taking that vibe away today and just take that into everything that you're going to do into your business as well. So thank you, James. And, um, and thank you everybody for taking the time today. Bye. Bye. 
It's Janet here. Thanks for joining me on Romance Your Tribe Radio. Hey, you heard our voices today, but do you want to see what we really look like? You can see the video version of this episode over at romanceyourtribe.com and grab the show notes while you're there. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate if you show the love and leave an honest review on iTunes or your favorite podcast directory. I'll see you on the next episode.